Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today I wanted to dive once again back into the world of Epic versus Apple, or more specifically, to bring folks that maybe haven't been following along in this now 30 plus video playlist on Epic versus Apple up to speed for a trial date that is set to start next week. So I will put in the description to this video a link to the middle part of it so that you can jump ahead if you are fully up to speed as to what's been happening here. But for those of you that have not been, I'm hopeful that I can make this clear and concise and get you up to speed for what's going to happen next week and for the weeks to follow. So in August of 2020, last year, Epic went out there, makers of Fortnite, and went to the iOS. They also went to Google and the Android uh, store, but that's not a part of this particular story because that lawsuit is still a ways away. This one's a bit accelerated for purposes of this conversation. And they said, instead of buying $10 of V-Bucks, the virtual currency for Fortnite, directly from the App Store, and from which Apple takes 30% of the revenue generated, we will instead offer you a payment option that goes around the App Store, and we will pass along a portion of those savings to you. They'll give 20% back to you, so that $10 worth of V-Bucks only costs you $8. They did this at the same time that they actually changed the pricing in various other outlets. You can see here, starting today, any V-Bucks or real money offers you purchase on PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Nintendo Switch, PC, and Mac are now also discounted by up to 20%. I wound up doing a video on this in virtual legality. This is the very first video you can see at the top of this list. Epic declares war on Apple and Google with Fortnite because it was clear from the start that this particular action was against the terms of service that these mobile hardware providers and providers of their related app stores require of folks selling into those ecosystems. It is expected, just like if you sell something on Steam or on PlayStation or Xbox or Nintendo, that when it goes up on that store, you're going to give a cut to the store provider. And Epic wanted to go around this. And I said, well, that's going to cause some problems. And indeed, it did. Immediately, Apple blocked Fortnite, or as they described in September, Apple is blocking Fortnite updates and new installs on the App Store and has terminated our ability to develop Fortnite for Apple devices. As a result, Fortnite's newly released Chapter 2 Season 4 update is not available for iOS. Now that actually jumps ahead a little bit in the story because as it turns out, from the Epic perspective, it was a trap. Epic did this deliberately through a hot fix and change in code to encourage Apple and Google to do this kind of thing, to show that Apple and Google would kick off developers from their App Store interfaces, from their storefronts, if they did something like this. And Epic had a federal lawsuit, a well-written, very long-winded federal lawsuit ready to go as soon as this happened. They also had what is a marketing campaign called hashtag free Fortnite with a little llama pretending to be an Apple logo that you might have seen around the internet. They were ready to go. As it turned out, as we found out in depositions and various other things that have come out as part of the discovery process in this litigation, they called this project behind the scenes Project Liberty. Never let it be said that Epic doesn't believe strongly in the righteousness of its cause here. And what is that cause? Well, we're going to dive into page 47 of the initial complaint that they filed to talk about what that is. They are primarily claims about Apple violating the antitrust 
restrictions in the United States. The Sherman Antitrust Act specifically. Now, what is section two of that act says? This is the first count that they bring up. It says, monopolization in any part of the trade or commerce among the several states or with foreign nations is prohibited. They then say that the iOS app distribution market is a valid antitrust market. We'll talk about that more in just a second. And Apple unlawfully maintains its monopoly power in the iOS app distribution market through the anti-competitive acts described herein, including by imposing technical and contractual restrictions on iOS, which prevents the distribution of iOS apps through means other than the app store and prevents developers from distributing competing app stores to iOS users. And that's where the rubber hits the road. One of the things that has come out is that Epic wants to put some version of the Epic Game Store right there on your iPhone next to the Apple App Store, and they want to be able to get their cut from selling through for developers. And they also don't want to pay 30% on the money that they make from their hugely profitable Fortnite product. And who can blame them? If you can go and you can win a federal lawsuit that says, I don't have to pay 30% of my money to someone else, I can pay 0%, then sure, you go and do that. And that's one of the reasons that instead of settling, you find this lawsuit coming up on a trial date next week is because Apple is defending its economics in its app store, which is worth billions. And Epic is fighting for a potential billions if they can get off that app store and if they don't have to pay that 30%. When you have that kind of situation, you wind up with a litigation. So they're saying, hey, look, Apple has a monopoly market. What is that market? It is the access to the iOS app store. It's the access to the iOS as an operating system. And this is where there's going to be a significant fight at the court level. And you can go into my playlist and you can see how I feel about this more specifically, but I'm trying to get folks up to speed here. So suffice it to say, there's a difference of opinion between Apple who says, hey, the market is wherever you can find Fortnite. You can find Fortnite in a bunch of different places. It's not just a market of iOS access. And Epic that says, well, no, you've got a great audience there. You've got a lot of people. In order to have a development of a video game succeed, you need to have access to the people that you have through the iOS. And you are the only ones that control that access. And that is a natural monopoly. And I tend to think that that's a tough argument to bring. I certainly think that's a tough argument to bring historically for Epic, but there's not a 0% chance of winning that kind of argument, especially because the Sherman Antitrust Act is so malleable and dependent on what a judge or a court of appeals or heck, even the Supreme Court thinks about the issue in question. So they say, you've got a monopoly in the iOS app access And then you use the contracts and you use the technical means in your hardware to say, "Mm, you can't do anything that doesn't go through the app store. You can't do anything that provides this competitive access. And so if that is a relevant market, we might have a case if we're on Epic's side. Similarly, and you'll see a lot of these counts kind of go over the same kind of thing. They say Apple unlawfully maintains its monopoly power through its unlawful denial to Epic and other app distributors of an essential facility access to iOS which prevents them from competing in the iOS app distribution market. Now, essential facility is a very specific kind of term of art. It's not been one that the court system in the United States generally looks kindly upon, but it's basically the same kind of premise that says access to iOS is so fundamentally important to a functioning marketplace that their denial of our access to it on the rules that we want to set is a problem for competitive markets in general. Court, you should redress this by preventing them from enforcing those contractual restraints. In count three, they go up to Sherman Antitrust Act section one, which talks about restraints of trade. 
Apple's conduct violates Section 1 of the Sherman Act, which prohibits every contract combination in the form of trust or otherwise, or conspiracy and restraint of trade or commerce among the several states or with foreign nations. Now, that doesn't actually say what it does as interpreted by the courts in the United States. It's not every contract. It's only unreasonable ones. Epic doesn't try to push too hard on that. It is, of course, they're saying here that what Apple is doing is, in fact, unreasonable. To reach iOS users, Apple forces developers to agree to Apple's unlawful terms contained in its developer agreement and to comply with Apple's App Store review guidelines including the requirement iOS developers distribute their apps through the App Store. These contractual provisions unlawfully foreclose the iOS app distribution market to competitors and maintain Apple's monopoly. They also claim unlawful monopoly maintenance in the in-app payment processing market. Very similarly, they say they have monopoly power in in in-app payment processing or in the alternative games payment processing. Now, how is that distinct? So one of the things that Epic does in this complaint and has proceeded through the various motions and legal documents they've filed in respect to this litigation is to say that the in-app payment processing, your purchase of V-Bucks is different from solely the access to the app store and is in fact a second product. They say Apple has a monopoly in both. They have a monopoly in iOS access in general, the app store access, and the in-app payment processing where they don't allow you to use your own payment processor should you so choose. Or as they say, Apple has unlawfully maintained its monopoly in these markets through the anti-competitive acts alleged herein, including by forcing through its contractual terms and unlawful policies, iOS app developers that sell in-app content to exclusively use Apple's in-app purchase and preventing and discouraging app developers from developing or integrating alternative payment processing solutions. Now, before we get into the rest of the counts, one of the things that has happened here that is pretty apparent after you see the litigation and after this has all happened is that the Epic Game Store was put into place essentially as a counterpoint to what Apple does through its storefront, as well as what Steam does through its storefront, but they're not actually getting sued right now. And Epic Game Store actually comes out and Tim Sweeney, the CEO of Epic, comes out and says, well, we only charge 12%. So we're going to argue that 30% is an unlawful monopoly price, helps us to establish that Apple is a monopoly actor. And we're going to point out to the court and elsewhere to the media that we don't require in-app payment processing to go specifically through us. And so Epic has been, for a long period of time now, engaged in Project Liberty to establish that Apple is doing things that are unnecessarily anti-competitive, where without a force like Epic Game Store, Apple would have an easier time of going and saying, well, look, 30% is the market standard. Here's how it works. If you're going to buy something and it's going to be available on our store, it's going to come through our uh, in-app payment processing services. We're going to take our cut and everything is fine and dandy versus Epic saying, no, you can do it this other way. And maybe the way you're doing it, Apple, is unlawful. So they've got an evidentiary background with the Epic Game Store that they're hoping to use in this litigation. We'll see how it works out for them. It is certainly stronger than if they didn't have that in their back pocket. Count five, unreasonable restraints of trade in the iOS in-app payment processing market. To reach iOS app users, Apple forces developers to agree to Apple's unlawful terms contained in its developer agreement, including that they use Apple's in-app purchase for in-app purchases of in-app content to the exclusion of any alternative solution or third-party payment processor. Further, Section 3.1.3 of Apple's App Store Review Guidelines unlawfully prohibits developers from directly or indirectly targeting iOS users to use a purchasing method other than in-app purchase. That drags in some of the rules that Apple says, okay, you have to go through us. 
You can obviously sell things through other platforms, through your own browser interface, for instance, either online on our phone or online through a PC, but you can't use our app that you put forth in our app store to direct people over there. That's one of the reasons why if you're on uh, iOS or some other devices, you won't necessarily see a directive to go somewhere else, but you might see lockouts of payment. You might see um, hints that there's a better price or a better deal for you elsewhere. Apple tries to keep that language off of their store. And again, reasonable minds can differ. If you're on Apple's side, you say, look, we're selling storefront space. We've got this big audience and you shouldn't be able to put a sticker on the box on our shelf here that says, hey, you can buy it here. Absolutely. But you can buy it for 30% less over here. That that's not helpful to us. That's not our business model. It's not really fair to what we're doing as a relationship versus Epic saying, well, you didn't do anything right? It's not really a shelf space. You're not looking at things the same way as a retailer would. And so when we talk about what we should be allowed to say in our own app, we should have greater ability to say, look, you can get it here. Absolutely. Convenience is important. But if you want to take a couple of extra steps and come over here, you can buy it for less over on our website. It's an interesting fight. And it's one of the reasons why this is a so heavily watched litigation at this point. The last real count here from an antitrust perspective is this notion of tying, that you can't take something that's popular that you want if you're a customer and you want to buy from a given manufacturer or provider, and you can't tie something that people don't really want to it, or you'll get in trouble under antitrust law. Tying the app store in the iOS app distribution market to in-app purchase in the iOS in-app payment processing market. Through its developer agreement with app developers and its app store review guidelines, Apple has unlawfully tied its in-app payment processor, in-app purchase, to the use of its app store. Apple is able to unlawfully condition access to the app store on the developer's use of a second product, in-app purchase for in-app sales of in-app content. Through its developer agreement and unlawful policies, Apple expressly conditions the use of its app store on the use of in-app purchase to the exclusion of alternative solutions in a per se unlawful tying arrangement. And the fight here is, are those two products? Is in-app payment processing distinct from sales or availability on the App Store? Have you illegally tied two separate products together? As you might expect, Apple says, no, it's one holistic business service. Epic says, nah, they're two separate products. You could easily separate them. Look at the Epic Game Store. They are separated right there. So this becomes an unlawful tying arrangement. The rest of the counts here are primarily related to California's version of the antitrust laws. If they win the Sherman Antitrust claims, then California is very likely to follow. So this is the crux of what Epic is fighting about. But it's not necessarily that easy. When they sought a motion for a temporary restraining order, we first heard from the judge last fall, and there were questions about whether Epic would win on the merits of its case. The one that popped out the most, and this shouldn't impact the actual legal ending of the case, but it might is that Epic did all this deliberately, breached their contract deliberately, had a marketing campaign ready to go deliberately. And for some judges, and it certainly appears to be this one, that's not going to play terribly well. Or as the judge says in declining to allow Fortnite back on the App Store, the current predicament appears of its own making. Epic Games remains free to maintain its agreements with Apple in breach status as this litigation continues, but as the Seventh Circuit recognized in Second City Music, the sensible way to proceed is for Epic to comply with the agreements and guidelines and continue to operate while it builds a record. 
Any injury that Epic Games incurs by following a different course is of its own choosing. Epic Game admits that the technology exists to fix the problem easily by deactivating the hotfix that Epic Games would prefer not to litigate in that context does not mean that irreparable harm exists. Now, this is in the vein of a temporary restraining order, and we will see a preliminary injunction. That doesn't reach the merits of the case necessarily, whether or not Apple is acting in illegal restraint of trade or as an illegal monopolist is distinct from what Epic has done here. But if you are a plaintiff, you don't necessarily want the judge to start calling out your marketing campaign and what you have done. And certainly the judge points out, if you're not following this case, that Epic could have brought an antitrust suit while still selling Fortnite into the App Store. That the existence of unlawful restraints of trade doesn't mean that you have to breach that contract before making a case like this one. You did it for the uh, explosive fireworks effects and the judge doesn't necessarily love that. Now, again, I don't think that this judge will hold this against Epic at the actual legal analysis level for whether or not a antitrust problem has been uh, generated by Apple, but you don't necessarily like to see this if you're on Epic's side of this particular equation because Epic has a certain amount of unclean hands and is a difficult plaintiff for this particular case, as I've mentioned as part of the playlist. Following this, Apple, as you might suspect, brought a lawsuit of its own, which you can see in the Apple Brings the Fire video here, primarily for breach of contract. What you would expect, if our contracts are legal, if they aren't antitrust violations, then Epic deliberately and in violation of the contract breached it and maybe stole money and moved it around accounts and we would like redress for that, Your Honor, and Apple brought this lawsuit, and this is a very long document. You can check it out in that particular video. But now you've got a suit and a countersuit, a temporary restraining order, and Epic then adding a little bit of fuel to the fire because Epic started to lead a government reforms group called the Coalition for App Fairness, or as the press release reads, Leading app developers form the Coalition for App Fairness to promote competition and protect innovation on digital platforms. What was one of their primary planks? Well, unsurprisingly, it matched up almost entirely with Epic versus Apple, including the reference to the 30% cut that Apple takes as a app tax on creators and consumers. They also say a few things, which again, you can check out in my playlist that I think are probably a little bit overbroad, including that no other transaction fee in any industry comes close to Apple's 30% cut when retail certainly takes 30%, Steam takes 30%. And we'll talk about some other stores just today that maybe don't take 30% any longer. You also see their primary argument that the app tax is 30% versus credit card fees of 3% and other providers at 5%. And of course, with the Epic Game Store taking 12%, this argument becomes a little bit attenuated, but certainly Epic and the rest of the developers would prefer not to pay 30% to Apple. And who can blame them? They then proceeded with the Coalition for App Fairness to actually pursue laws in various states around the United States and in various countries to actually change what could be done with an app store on a mobile device. Now here, you see me describing it in North Dakota. They also tried it, I believe, in Arizona. Both were declined uh, by the legislatures of those states. I think they were refused votes uh, in Arizona, and I think it was declined formally uh, in North Dakota by their Senate. But this Coalition for App Fairness is going about, I think, the proper approach of actually changing the law and saying, hey, 
you shouldn't be allowed to do X, Y, or Z, including making exclusive your access to the app store on your device. From my perspective as a lawyer, that's a little bit more uh, of a uh, traditional way to handle something like this, lobbying to have actual laws changed, than reading an existing law from the 19th century to apply in a way that it has historically not applied. So you've got government action, you've got temporary restraining orders, and then you finally have the preliminary injunction. Much like at the temporary restraining order level, the judge held that Fortnite did not have to be added back to the store while this contract was under breach, but also that Apple couldn't just attack Epic's other accounts at Apple that were used primarily to support developers using the Unreal Engine on the iOS ecosystem. Hence the thumbnail, Fortnite out and Unreal in. Notably, as part of the argument made by the judge here in denying the preliminary injunction uh, for the Fortnite revival, but allowing it for the Unreal uh, Engine part of the conversation, is what effect this entire conversation has on business at large. One of the reasons I took up this discussion at the top of my playlist was the notion that if we're saying that somebody that makes a piece of hardware can't control the access to that hardware, can't control what cut they get, what stores are available on it, what apps go on that hardware, then what you're really talking about is implications throughout a lot of industry and a lot of technology, including but not limited to, of import to Epic, PlayStation, and Nintendo, and Xbox. And while a lot of people have come out on the internet and said, no, 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 this is only talking about phones, only talking about this specific use case, and we'll see an article even made today that suggests the same, that isn't how the law works. If you set a precedent on a reading of something, it is generalized in most cases to what is immediately adjacent to that topic. So as the judge says here, first, Epic Games averse that the iOS market is distinct from other video game platforms because Sony, Nintendo, and Microsoft do not make much profit, if any, on the sale of the hardware or console, unlike Apple, which allegedly makes significant profits from the sale of each iPhone. This distinction is without legal precedent under Section 2 of the Sherman Act. None of that matters. The business model for how these things go out to market does not matter if we find that a hardware producer doesn't, as a matter of law, have the right to restrict access to a competing store on their platform, how they sold that hardware initially is of no import. Indeed, Sony, Nintendo, and Microsoft all operate similar walled gardens or closed platform models as Apple, whereby the hardware operating system, digital marketplace, and in-app purchases are all exclusive to the platform owner. As such, a final decision should be better informed regarding the impact of the walled garden model given the potential for significant and serious ramifications for Sony, Nintendo, and Microsoft and their video game platforms. Make no mistake, this judge sitting here analyzing whether or not to issue a preliminary injunction believes that Epic's theory of the case will have ramifications on the remaining walled gardens, definitely in video games, and then potentially broadening out past video games, entertainment, and software. So this is an enormously important case, and that shouldn't be elided. That shouldn't be something that we ignore when we say, hey, I love Epic and I hate Apple, or I love Apple and I hate Epic. Both of these companies, in my opinion, are both easy to love in certain respects. I actually really enjoy Fortnite. I've loved Apple products for a long time and easy to hate. Apple does some really stupid stuff with its terms and conditions, puts ads in its setting page. Are you kidding me? How could you like these guys? And Epic 
headed by CEO Tim Sweeney, never believes it's wrong on anything and is self-righteous to the extreme. Which leads us to the fun fact of a trial on May 3rd. You've got two giant companies with resources to spend. You've got two companies with a lot of money on the line, depending on which way the case goes. You've got an entire industry, if not more, that could be altered by an epic win on this particular argument. And you've got two very strong wills and Tim Cook and Tim Sweeney that are willing to go to the mattresses for this entire fight. So with that as the background, now you know that's Epic versus Apple, and that's why so many people are interested in it. Now, as of today, we do have a couple of more updates. As I mentioned as part of this kind of summary of what's going on in this particular case, there have been depositions, there's been discovery, there've been materials leaked and redacted, and a couple of those have resulted in some significant events. One is on the Microsoft side, or as Mr. Tim Sweeney, CEO of Epic Games says, wow. Big PC gaming news from Tom Warren. Microsoft is shaking up the world of PC gaming by cutting the 30% fee it usually takes on PC games to just 12%. It's a bid to compete with Steam and entice game developers to the Windows Store. Full details here. Thanks, Tom. Let's go check out your full details. Microsoft puts the pressure on Valve's Steam Store. Microsoft is shaking up the world of PC gaming today with a big cut to the amount of revenue it takes from games on Windows. The software giant is reducing its cut from 30% to just 12% from August 1st in a clear bid to compete with Steam and entice developers and studios to bring more PC games to its Microsoft store. Now, what's very important here is that 12% number. That number isn't plucked from the sky. That number is in fact an exact match for what Epic Games Store takes from developers that put games on its ecosystem. And again, by design, is intended to show that Steam's 30% cut, Apple's 30% cut, is in some respect monopoly pricing, anti-competitive pricing that is born not out of the services they provide, not out of the product offerings they have, not about consumers' love for the brand, but instead just from raw market power. And Epic has gone out there and said, hey, you can run a store like this on 12%. And Apple has responded and saying, you haven't proved that yet. You've only ever lost money on this endeavor so far, which will be a topic of discussion as part of the lawsuit. But now you've got Microsoft, an absolute technological giant, joining Epic in its bid to establish that 30% is too high. Why? Well, because like any other publisher of video games or software, getting the ability to access more storefronts at a lower cost is beneficial to them. And certainly Microsoft wants to compete with Steam, wants to compete in general. Microsoft and their Windows Store has never been as popular as Steam or, or perhaps even as GOG. I don't know where their market share is, but it always seems low when I think about them as offering PC uh, video games or, or software in general. And so like most things, you've got a couple of different perspectives you can take on an announcement like this. Well, they don't have that market share. You've got to find a way to compete. You don't have those eyeballs, so you lower those prices. Epic Games pours money into exclusives and to other advertising features in order to only offer 12% of a take from developers and still somehow try to compete with Steam. Microsoft joins them in this, but the timing cannot be ignored. This is the eve of the lawsuit between Epic versus Apple, where Epic is making the argument that Apple is using its monopoly power to take an illegal 30% cut from them and every other developer. So Microsoft joining them at the 12% level is of note. And it's also of note that this isn't the only time that Microsoft has helped back up Epic 
in this fight against Apple. Now, in this particular video, we talk about Microsoft adding testimony, talking about what damages would be wrought if the Unreal Store access portion of Epic's accounts were to be limited and, and prohibited from access to the iOS ecosystem, kind of a limited fight that really doesn't impact the trial on its whole. But with Microsoft's move today, it does appear that Microsoft, as well as we saw from Valve depositions as part of the story as well, is backing certain bits of Epic's attack on Apple. Because if you're selling products, if you can get that number lowered, it's certainly beneficial to you. Now we have in this article, The Verge doing some water carrying for Epic. These changes will only affect PC games and not Xbox console games in Microsoft's store. While Microsoft hasn't explained why it's not reducing the 30% it takes on Xbox game sales, it's likely because, and this is raw editorializing from a, from a journalistic outlet, right? It's likely because the console business model is entirely different to PC. Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo subsidize hardware to make consoles more affordable and offer marketing deals in return for a 30% cut on software sales. It's a very amusing sentence to me. One, because as we just read from the judge in Epic versus Apple, the distinction here is without difference in terms of the law, uh, that the business model doesn't actually matter to this. If you can't set that price, if that price is monopolistic on a consumer-facing basis, it doesn't matter what your personal business model was for selling consoles into the market but also the notion that you don't offer marketing deals on the PC side, that Epic Games doesn't have as part of its depositions, that it's losing hundreds of millions of dollars making video games available to players to try to get eyeballs into its ecosystem. It's very amusing to me, but also not terribly relevant. Microsoft is doing this to back up Epic, is doing this to try to get Mindshare, just like Epic is doing, and all in an effort to get those 30% amounts lowered across a number of ecosystems. Similarly, we also had a deposition come out from Epic very recently that said Fortnite isn't on Microsoft's Xbox cloud gaming service because Epic won't allow it. Microsoft and Epic, very interesting and strange bedfellows here, right? Microsoft clearly helping to add strength to Epic's argument about what is a monopoly price and what isn't, while at the same time, Epic says, Epic Games is holding back Fortnite from being available on xCloud, according to a new deposition made public as part of the Epic case against Apple. We viewed Microsoft's efforts with, it, with xCloud to be competitive with our PC offerings. The court document makes it appear that Kreiner may go on to explain why, but the next part of the questioning has been redacted. You can redact these depositions. They're not all for public consumption, especially when they contain things like trade secrets uh, relating to the businesses. Now, there's a couple of things happening here. One is that Fortnite and Epic reserves the right to control access to this product that it has made. Undoubtedly, Apple will bring something like this up to say, yeah, absolutely. When you make something, you get to control access to it. You get to control how somebody interacts with it. And if you don't want it to have some kind of functionality available, such as access on xCloud, then that's your choice to make. You put the resources in, you built the product, much like we built the iPhone and the iPad and everything else. That'll be an interesting component of the conversation on the one hand. On the other hand, you've got Apple and Epic and Microsoft all kind of in this muddy middle of trying to decide the differences between hardware and software and applications and video games and Apple in Microsoft fighting right now over whether xCloud in and of itself should be allowed on the App Store when Apple says, well, only if, you if we can review every single game that has access to it in that particular format. So you've got these three giant tech 
companies fighting over a lot of minutiae with a pending litigation next week. And I can't tell you which way any of this is going to go. If you watch the entire playlist for the entire epic litigation, you'll figure out pretty quickly that the Sherman Antitrust Act is very malleable, that anybody telling you that they can guarantee that it'll go Epic's way or Apple's way is lying to you because this judge might say one thing, the Court of Appeals might say another, and God forbid, if it gets up to the Supreme Court, they might say an entirely different thing, only it'll be 10 or 12 years later. So you're in it for the long haul if you're following this court case, but I'm very happy that you're in it with me. We'll certainly be updating it as it goes along, uh, but we don't know exactly what the news flow is going to be out of this. This is going to be an in-person trial, uh, which is a rarity here in the age of corona, and we'll be following along with The Verge and other folks that have media access to either phone calls or things and updating you as news items pop out, but we just simply don't know what those news items might be or whether or not good news items will appear at all throughout the course of what they hope to be, not ironically, a two-week or fortnight-long trial. This has been Virtual Legality for today. I hope you found this enjoyable. If you do like talking about the business and law, video games, music, movies, television, pop culture, Epic versus Apple, we cannot do it without your support. Please considering supporting the channel at Patreon, Streamlabs, buying something from the store, or just subscribing, upvoting, downvoting, ringing bells, and most importantly, telling your friends that we're having this conversation here. We intend to have it throughout May, and we'll certainly be covering the final decision, at least before it goes to appeal from whoever the loser is, when and as it happens. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.